What's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Matt Sports House. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson. Have one of Presbyterian's finest on for this episode as a special guest, James Satterfield. James, what's up with you, man? Hey, what's up, dude? Appreciate you having me on. Hey, me and James go way back. He taught me back in Northeast. And so he hit me up like, yo, you got to bring me on the episode. And I was like, oh, for sure, this is going to be great. But uh, without further ado, welcome to my sports house. Open up the champagne pocket. It's my house. Come on, turn it up. Uh. Hear a knock on the door and the night begins. Because we've done this before, so you come on in. Make yourself at my home, tell me where you've been Pour yourself something cold, baby, cheers to this Sometimes you gotta stay in And you know where I live Yeah, you know what we is Sometimes you gotta stay in, in. Welcome to my Alright, man, well, we're gonna go ahead and start this off Since you're also a big Clemson fan, correct? Oh, yeah I went to Clemson, got my master's there. There you go. What'd you get it anyway? Education. Okay, gotcha. That's very fitting. Uh, we'll open it up with the Clemson versus Syracuse, who played on Friday night. Clemson was able to get the win with the final score of 17 to 14. What were your thoughts on the game? Uh, I think, dude, basically Clemson, our offense is struggling right now. I think that's the reason why, you know, we are not who we've been in years past. Um, it kind of goes back to, you know, DJ just looks uncomfortable in the pocket. He kind of looks like a statue. Um, I, you know, I feel like it's partially because of the offensive line struggling a little bit. Um, but mainly I think it's mental because, I mean, let's be clear, this is not the same DJ that we saw last year against Notre Dame. Um, and it's kind of a testament, you know, to the run game that Travis Etienne brought to the offense. They've got to respect that off- uh, respect that run game and our offense kind of opens things up for receivers. Yeah, it's been crazy because, you know, last year you hear Amari Rodgers. No, yeah, Amari Rodgers, he went on mm-hmm. to Green Bay, and you got Travis Etienne leaves, and then you have um, Trevor Lawrence leave as well. And, like, I feel like people were expecting, you know, maybe a little something, but because they saw DJ play so well against Notre Dame, it's like, okay, he's just going to fit in. And this has been my thing, too. I think I said this on last week's episode. It's like Clemson has had great quarterbacks for so long. People don't remember this kind of Clemson because I remember back, uh, what is it, Will, what's his, uh, Kyle Parker days? You remember those? Oh, yeah. And oh, even yeah. when Taj Boyd, before they brought in Chad Morris, I want to say that was like in 2011. Because I remember, were you a fan whenever they brought in Chad Morris, or were you not? Really Bro, I was fan? born and raised Clemson, baby. Yeah. I remember Tommy Bowden days, son. Like, hey, that's hey, when I was Clemson getting in its finest. Go, looks like you're going to ACC championship every, almost every year, and then Virginia comes and beats you. That's right, dude. All the OGs remember all those heartbreaks now. Yeah, so uh, it's, it seems like the Clemson fans that have been here for a long period of time uh, before the social media was going crazy, because I remember it seems like Clemson just took off on social media. But it's kind of like, but nobody really wanted to remember these days. And, and I think even Dabo Sweeney said it. I saw our article on TigerNet. He said, this reminds me of the slump we were in back in 2010. So what do you think they can do? You have any ideas what you think they could do to kind of get this thing going again? I mean, I really think, so what you have to do is get, uh, you know, easy, short pass plays, you know, get DJ some completions. Because right now he's failing to make the easy throws, in my opinion. Um, and I think it's because his mental clock is all over the place because sometimes that offensive line can hold, you know, the opposing defensive line. Sometimes it can't. Um, he's unable to kind of get in a rhythm. Yeah. And so I think, you know, if he's able to get in a rhythm throwing the ball and, you know, also I think it would be good if he's kind of quick to use his legs you know, just be decisive. You see the pocket collapse and climb the pocket or get out. Um, because, I mean, this, this is a big dude we're talking about. You know, DJ is a big guy. You know, in terms of intangibles, I mean, I think he's by far, like, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And he's, I mean, I think it's mental right now. And one thing, you know, you were talking about this. I don't remember if it was last week. Y'all were talking about, you know, DJ going back into the stadium to practice missed throws there at, like, 1230 after that game. Yeah. You know, that's what legends do, man. Like, this guy this guy is going to be legendary. It's just a matter of being patient because, I mean, we're talking about a true sophomore, you know, leading one of the, the top-tier programs in the country in football right now. So. No, I agree. And where the, where the expectations are now are sky high. 
They weren't always That's like right. but now they are. So, and then, as we said before, uh, quarterback is all about responding to adversity. So hopefully he'll get it going because there's a very good chance that Clemson still into the ACC championship game. NC State just has to lose two ACC games. Are they, have they lost an ACC game so far? Do you know? Uh, I don't think so. I think they've got to jump Wake Forest and NC State. They're both undefeated in ACC play. So, yeah. But Clemson yeah. will play Wake Forest because they're in Atlantic. So they'll play them later on in the year, correct? That's right. And so we dropped that game to NC State. Um, you know, I think there's there's still a chance, you know, if we went out, there's still a chance that we could end up playing for the ACC. I mean, for me right now, it's kind of like we've got to show some growth and yeah. show some some positives right now because, you know, it is frustrating when you have a defense that's top tier and then your offense is struggling the way ours is. So, you know, I would say that one thing that's been great, though, like you said, is Venables in that defense year after year. You can pretty much count on Venables to come in. And I remember when they first hired Venables because it came from Oklahoma. I think they were going to move him to being like a dual uh, defensive coordinator. And I think they were going to bring maybe one of the Stoops brothers back. And I was like, Oklahoma never has any defense, but man, he's been the guy to put it together. It's Tyler Venables. I know one of the boys that plays in the secondary, Tyler Venables is there. Is Jake Venables still there playing linebacker? Jake is there, yes. Yeah, because yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Jake that had that pick this weekend. Yeah, there you have it. So the, the all the Venable boys on the defense, and they just uh, keep making it happen. So, but Clemson plays Pitt next Saturday, 3.30 p.m. You think they'll get it, keep it going, or what you thinking? I think that one of these teams coming up, I don't know if it's Pitt. Pitt's a strong opponent. Okay, probably the strongest left on our schedule right now. Uh, but I think somebody's going to awaken a sleeping giant here here shortly. I think they might hang 70 on somebody, dude. You never know. <laughs> hey, look forward to seeing it. I'm pretty sure 3.30 games, those are usually on ABC. So and I think that's a well-ranked matchup. So definitely look forward to that one here coming. Want to go down to Columbia, the Midlands, South Carolina Gamecocks, another struggling uh, team. And it, in its own right, they beat Vandy with the final score of 21-20. And not to talk too much, like, you know, about the numbers in this game. But, man, oh, man, this is crazy. I remember when Carolina a couple weeks back played Troy. That might have been last week. Every I heard South Carolina fans are kind of like, oh, Troy don't know what's going to hit him today. And I'm like, do we understand what we are talking about here? We are, like, saying South Carolina's got to – we're going to knock Troy out. Like, that's the expectation. This is an SEC mm. opponent. But they got to win this week against Vandy. And it, it, it literally came – it took everything. It took two quarterbacks, took everything to get the win. Oh, what were your thoughts on the game? I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, I love watching the Gamecocks lose. I got to be honest about that, okay? But yeah. I will say that Colonel Zebulia showed up. I mean, imagine not taking a snap after Lou Doty becomes healthy, not taking a snap, kind of just putting your pads on, being, you know – uh, on the sideline there, and then it's like, you know, Lou Doty's foot is is hurting a little bit, and it's like, hey, man, go win the game. Yeah. I mean, 75-yard touchdown drive to win. I mean, he made some big-time passes in a pressure situation. You've got all of Gamecock Nation, like, hanging on every throw you make, dude, and he made some good ones. He was calm. I mean, it was impressive, dude, by, by Zeb right there. Yeah, you would have thought he had been playing. Like, he just came in there, and it seems like the whole entire game, he'd be, like, looking at some sort of game plan. Like, if I get in, I'm going to do this, that, and the third. It seems like the Vandy's defense was trying to play, like, bend on break towards the end of that game, mm -hmm. and he marched them straight down the field, and they get the win for that one. So that's major because it was going to be disappointing. I was so funny because I followed the Spurs Up show, and, you know, he tweets throughout the game. After the game, he gives a post-game reaction. And he goes, I swear to you, you're not. If we lose to Vandy, I'm logging off till Monday. It was the funniest thing. Mm. But Carolina holds on. It has been announced that Zeb will be the starter next week against Texas A&M. It's funny because Texas A&M isn't even that great of a team this year. They beat Bama. Right. And then one thing for sure, that game is going to be – I want to say that game is going to be in Columbia. I, uh, I think it's at A&M. Oh, man. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Well, I remember <laughs> I remember about two years, maybe three years back, I went to the South Carolina-Texas A&M game, and Texas A&M travels really well. So those fans right. pack up the buses, get on the planes, whatever, coming from College Station, but it'll be a tough environment for the 12th man. But I'm sure Zeb will be high, riding a high horse, and he's ready to uh, go, make, go make some history down there at College Station. That's right. Hey, they got, you know, Coach Beamer and Coach Satterfield got a big decision to make, you know, when Luke Doty becomes healthy, especially if Zeb can have this offense 
moving the way he had it moving, you know, on Saturday. So I'm envisioning just obviously not being in the meetings or anything, but if I'm Texas A&M, I'm going to say bring a lot of pressure because I think Luke moves a little bit better than uh, mm-hmm. Zeb, but bring some pressure, see if they can get something going there. But as Zeb thought he was back on the headset, maybe thought he was about to go put back on the polo and be a coach again. He said, get back on the field. So he's back That's out right. there. So something that will definitely be something interesting to watch. We're going to keep moving in the SEC East. Georgia, Kentucky. I'll tell you what, if you would have told me before the season that when Georgia and Kentucky went and played each other, they would both be undefeated and it would be the battle of the SEC East, would have told you were crazy. I think Mark Stoops has done an excellent job building that program up to where, because it was a point in time where people thought of South Carolina, Kentucky kind of at the same page. Kentucky's been able to recruit well and do what fits their best as far as offensive and defensively. And they got the win with the final score of 30 to 13. Uh, so big win. Oh, I don't know if I said this, but Georgia got the win with the final score, 30 to 13. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? Uh, so, well, first of all, you know, Matt, I think, you know, Georgia is clearly number one team in the country. I don't think there's any disputing that. It's like their defense is elite, man. Yeah. It's like they're playing with 13 guys. I mean, there's red hats everywhere, dude. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, they've shown that their offense can be productive regardless of, you know, if they got JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett over there. But um, I will say, you know, Kentucky, dude, I mean, the fact that they're undefeated right now, you know, that's a compl- that, an accomplishment for the Wildcats. Um, Mark Stoops has done a good job of, you know, building a defense that's just, you know, big and physical. And, you know, we all know that's what it takes to win in the SEC. Um, he's put an emphasis on running the football, although Georgia held them to only 51 rushing yards, which just is a testament to their defensive line and how fast and how good those guys are. But, you know, Stoops is – I mean, he's changed the players' mindset. It's not its not just basketball anymore. Yeah, because for the longest, we think of whenever the basketball season comes around. As a matter of fact, for the most part, whenever you go to a Kentucky basketball game, pretty much wherever it is in the country, it's decked out in blue. Uh, whether it's oh, in yeah. South Carolina, where it's in Louisiana, wherever the case may have you. But, man, that fan base really is buying season tickets now for the football, I'm assuming, because they've definitely been able to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, man. It's been impressive. I mean, they're investing, too. I mean, they're investing in, in football. I mean, $120 million in stadium improvements recently. I mean, they're they're really trying to go all in on football and just and really be competitive. So, you know, it's fun to see. It's fun to see another team in the SEC that can compete. Yeah, and then a lot of times this opens them, uh, I would say BCS games, but whenever another team the SEC does really well, the SEC finds themselves in a, more of the premier bowl games. So whether it be like the Cotton Bowl or different ones like that, they still have like kind of bids going into there. But uh, like I said, Kentucky was able to get the win 30-13. No, my God, why do I keep saying that? Georgia was able to get the win with the final score 30-13. I think this JT Daniels-Stetson-Bennett complex is super interesting because – you have JT Daniels plays against Clemson. I don't know if he got hurt, but he hasn't been playing. But Stetson come in. It's like Stetson is like getting the work done throughout the years, helping them get wins and, you know, keeping the offense going. And it's going – I'm looking forward to seeing whenever JT does come back. But Stetson, by no means, is like dropping the ball. Like he's helping the team continue to win. That's right. I, you know, remind me – don't let me forget now. I got a fun fact for you about this uh, Kentucky um, year right now. But, yeah, I mean – Watching, watching Stetson Bennett, I'm sitting here like, you know, this is a former walk-on. Yep. You know, this is a guy who, who earned a scholarship, and he's out there just taking advantage of every, every minute he's, he's out there. And, you know, granted, again, this goes back to, you know, having a good uh, run game. You know, that's helping him out a lot. The play action is helping him out a lot. Um, you know, everybody was kind of up in the air about which one. You know, right now, it, it would be difficult for me if JT Daniels was ready to go. It would be difficult for me to just insert him right back in that lineup because, I mean, Stetson, like you said, has been getting the job done. So, Yeah. Well, well, hey, what was the fact that you had, though, about uh, Kentucky? All right. Fun fact. This makes me feel like Lee Corso right now, okay? Yeah. So, before this matchup with, with Georgia, Kentucky was 6-0 for the first time since 1950. At that time, their head coach was none other than Paul Bear Bryant, and they won the SEC and also went on to, uh, I think, they weren't given the national championship at the time, but if you look back, they're, they're, uh, they're credited with the national championship. So I thought that was, I thought that was pretty crazy, dude. Yo, that's insane. I don't even think most people even know that Paul Bear Bryant even was at Kentucky. 
I, I most certainly did not. I started doing some research on Kentucky, and I was like, you know, when was the, you know, when was the last time that Kentucky was this good, dude? 1950. It's crazy. It's a, it's a testament to Mark Stoops, man. Mark Stoops getting the job done. Wow, that's, and it just goes to show you whenever these programs fire their head coach or whatever have you, they move on. It's like finding the right fit, finding the right guy that's not only going to come here, but going to really try to build it. Because a lot of times these coaches use them like as like stepping stones. So you get this opportunity it's like as long as I do pretty well. I mean, you try your best, but then you have in the back of your mind like, OK, I'm going to try to get to the top tier program. But I guess he said SECs, why not me? And uh, he's been able to get the job. And it just sucks that you got Georgia. And what I'm mm-hmm. always interested in, who is going to come into the East and who's going to come into the West between Oklahoma and Texas? If you had it your way, what would you think would be a good way of doing so? I, I think a good way to do it. I mean, just to strengthen the East, you put Oklahoma in the East, you yeah. know. But it, I think either way, you're putting a strong program into East or West, whichever way you look at it. Um, because, again, you know, Texas – Texas is an elite program, maybe not in uh, as of late, uh, but they definitely have the potential to become an elite program in the future. And so, you know, either way, the SEC, I mean, golly, the rich get richer. Tell you. I mean, that's a, that's some quality programs that you're adding. I mean. Yeah, so that's going to be super interesting to watch. And, uh, and I think that deal comes through in 2025, but the lawyers are at work trying to see if they can kind of get that done a little bit quicker. We're going to stay in the SEC. This is pretty much an SEC episode. I ain't going to lie to the listeners, but y- y'all just got to do it. It is recorded smack dab in the middle of the South, so we're going to keep it going. Oh, how about, oh, oh, this is an exciting topic. Ole Miss, Tennessee. Ole Miss gets to win 31-26. Before we even go anywhere, are you a Lane Kiffin fan? Dude, I think everybody deserves a second chance. That's a, that's my opinion, okay? I think everybody deserves a second chance, um, you know, but I think sometimes, like, his persona kind of gets in the way of, of what he's trying to do as a coach, you know? So, uh, I, I, guess, I guess I could say maybe just from the football aspect. I mean, he's a, he's a heck of a coach, dude, you know? But, like, as a guy, I don't know if I would, like, be friends with him, you know? Yeah, I feel like he's in this weird area of you either like or you love him. I absolutely love him. Like last week at Alabama, he throws the headset, like kind of his mic drop or say. This week as they're like pouring stuff on him and throwing stuff at him, he's blowing kisses to him. Oh, that, and he think he throws the visor as well. Yes. I love oh, yeah. you, Kevin. Um, Dude, he – so they were throwing all types of stuff, man. There's the golf ball, and then he kept the golf ball. There was like <laughs> – bottles full of brown stuff or something he says you know there was a mustard bottle on the field I mean he makes an OBJ catch with a water bottle on his way out dude I mean like it was nothing then then he tosses the visor I mean it's it's a show dude and he's like he's like you know it's not about me it's not about me but dude he loved every second of that attention he was getting from Tennessee he loved that dude and the thing is like he's like you know a lot of times you have these coaches that don't really like use social media too much maybe promote the program like he's tweeting throughout the week like he might say something to save and I think I saw like two years ago I love Lane Kiffin I think he is great and we're in the SEC where it just means more it's like you need a guy like that like you said might not be your best friend I hear him and Matt Carell are really tight, which is probably necessary for an offensive-minded head coach and a quarterback. And I had Matt as a dark horse Heisman candidate until they lost to Alabama in the fashion that they did. But uh, definitely good. There was one thing here, though, I have to say, because uh, they were talking – because I, I had kind of forgotten about the history of Lane Kiffin and, um, and Tennessee. Apparently t- – wait, where here it is. I think I got it right here pulled up. Uh, so the night of a lot of the Tennessee fans remember the night of January 12, 2010, after seven six season with the loss in the Chick-fil-A bowl to Virginia tech, Kiffin held a, a press conference on campus. He took 60 seconds to announce that he was leaving the Vols to go coach at the, U, the university of Southern Cal. And I looked even more into some of that research. A lot of Tennessee fans felt like if he would have stayed, they would have won that champ. That they would, at some point, have even been able to compete or uh, win a SEC championship game. And so, a lot of those fans are still kind of held on to it. So, guess what Lane Kiffin says like after the game? He says, "I guess it's kind of like whenever you say you're over your ex, and then you see." Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it was it was a bad breakup there, man, in, in Rocky time. Yeah, he even apparently he was going around taking pictures 
of like different places on campus. I don't know when this happened, but he was like, this is still one of my favorite spots in college football. You got to love Lane. Um, That's right. You hate it for Ole Miss because now, well, well, actually, they only, they've only lost one game, right? That's correct. Now, who else is going to they be? Lost, I mean, but, they lost to Bama, but, dude, their offense is explosive, man. Ole Miss, I mean, they look pretty strong. They were in control in the first half. I mean, Tennessee kind of got together there towards the end. And I want to talk about it at some point when you're ready. The Dude, the last play of the game just kind of blew my mind, you know. But anyway, yeah, I thought – I mean, I think Ole Miss is going to be a problem if they continue to progress. Yeah, I was thinking, like, man, I'd love to see an SEC championship game, but I don't see Alabama getting that second loss, and that'd be necessary. Mm-hmm. But what were your thoughts on the last play? Let's hear it. All right, so you've got you got Hooker is injured, you know, after running 14 yards. There's 18 seconds on the clock. Joe Milton comes off the bench. You know, he hits Walker Merrill for 12 yards, clocks it, throws to the end zone. That ball actually goes right through the receiver's hands in the end zone, probably should have been caught. Uh, but so you got, you know, zeros on the clock, snaps it with zeros on the clock, runs 13 yards, and it's like he kind of gets pushed out of bounds. I don't know, his eyes are downfield, kind of looks like then he wants to rush, and he kind of just runs out of bounds, man. And, I mean, to me, it's like I've got to toss it up the end zone, give my receivers a chance to make a play, or maybe try to take in the end zone myself, try to go beast mode. Like, like I don't know, I just feel like you can't run out of bounds. You can't afford to run out of bounds with – zeros on the clock and and kind of my question is like you know did did you know did Milton know how much time was still on the clock I mean did he know the situation I mean when you snap the ball you know with that little of time left you would think that it's I mean it's a do or die play is it not yeah no I was wondering that like I think it had to be like he didn't understand the situation or not because otherwise this this is your chance right here like you don't get this one again I I didn't understand that as well and I um, guess that led to the Tennessee loss. That's crazy. Though. Yeah. Which it's like, I mean, it's like he was trying to get out of bounds. Like maybe I'll have one second left, one more play. And it's like, no, nah, that was it, man. Like, that's it. That's a wrap. And that's another. I hate to ball. see it. Yeah. So definitely always interesting story for Rocky Top. We used to do a podcast at school called The Lead Block. And one of my guys, Cedric Malone, shout out to him if he's listening. But he was talking about when he played for South Carolina, he was like, Tennessee ain't no place to play. So it, it's no, it's just not like a, it's not an easy environment necessarily. And mm-hmm. so whenever they already have other reasons too, and then they're not winning, like they feel like they should be able to, um, they, they definitely want to win. I wanted this, was this the game? This, I think Ole Miss, yeah, I want to say this was the game. They were talking about, they would love, have you been watching on Monday Night Football where Eli Manning and Peyton Manning do their show? Oh, dude, it's it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it's really funny, man. Yeah, a lot of people were saying that they were hoping that ESPN would some way, some shape or imagination, they would let them do that for this game, which have been really cool because, you know, both of them played quarterback at these schools. However, I see this and a lot of people in my house say this as well. If you like like traditional like announcers and stuff, that's not the thing for you. Because sometimes those guys kind of talk over what's going on. They kind of go off track and it can be a little bit distracting. It's kind of like listening to a podcast while watching the game. Right. So if it's a game I'm not particularly interested in for fancy purposes or whatever, you know, I, I did watch it a little bit. But you're right. Like if you like a traditional like play call and you like to know the ins and outs of what's going on, you know, schematically and stuff like it's not for you. But if you just want a good laugh, man, I mean, there's nothing like watching those two brothers argue and say, they're like, one of them's like, I'm calling mom and stuff like that. Like, it's pretty funny, dude. Yeah, and then, like, Peyton all of a sudden, like, just putting on the helmet in the middle of the set. And I had not turned into the game originally, and I saw that, and I was like, wow. But one of my favorites was listening to Russell Wilson come in at the end of the game. And he was, like, literally diagnosing what was going on. This is what I would do. This It's great. It's great. Great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's good. All right. We're going to go here to the Big Ten. I actually, since Justin Fields, I have become a massive Ohio State fan out of absolute nowhere. Huge fan. They were they had an off week this week. They have announced that Penn State and I think on Halloween night, if I'm not mistaken, will be a night game. So I'm super excited about that. But Iowa. Iowa goes down, was undefeated. They went down to the unranked uh, Purdue. I think those are the bull makers. Iowa, did you see Iowa being undefeated heading into this game if you had looked at the preseason schedules? I I can't say I saw them going undefeated in this game, maybe one loss. You know, I know that they're kind of a quality team, okay, but they, I mean, dude, they struggle with speed and athleticism. If you attack them, 
I mean, they, they are on their heels a lot, especially defensively. And, you know, I watched them um, trying to remember, I think it was against Wisconsin earlier this year. And it's, it's just kind of like their offense is very old school. You know, yeah. they're, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes that is big 10 football at its finest, but man, they, they struggle to put up points sometimes. And it was literally non-existent against Purdue. I mean, scoring the fewest points at home since 2012, Yeah. you know, and then also Iowa, the thing that has them undefeated right now is these turnovers, dude. I mean, they they were number one in the nation takeaways, plus 15 turnover margin going into this game, and they only had one, and they didn't even force it, you know, against Purdue. So That's insane. And those turnovers make such a big difference in games. When you can get those, you're changing possessions, and especially, and we'll talk about this later, executing on them. Like when your offense can right. turn those into points, it's like as a as a as the opposing team, you really have no shot if you turn that ball over. That's right. Definitely one, but in and so in the Big Ten, Michigan's still undefeated as long as they didn't lose this week. And Ohio State. So that was at one they're like at one point there's three highly ranked Big Ten teams, which is great, better for the sport. It's come to my attention. A lot of times they say that college football has become kind of regional. And so whenever we have the Big Ten playing well and Notre Dame is independent, but they're kind of up north. But whenever we have teams from different parts of the country all playing well, it really creates for a better brand for the sport overall. Sure. I mean, the, dude, the Big Ten is strong. I mean, you know, they're they're kind of pushing the SEC for who's who's the strongest in college football right now. You know, it's 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 debatable if the best team in the Big Ten could take down Georgia. I think we can agree Georgia is the best team in the SEC. It's yeah. debatable. If you know, maybe your boy, maybe your boys, the Buckeyes, could do it. Uh, I don't think Michigan's for real. That's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think this is, you know, this is a situation. Michigan has done well offensively. You know, it kind of looks like they're able to move the football and be kind of explosive at times. But uh, I think they they got a test to do when Sparty comes. Not this week, I guess. This week coming, they got Northwestern. The next week, when they got you know Michigan State, that's gonna be that's gonna be their true test. I think. Yeah, that's a rivalry game for them, and that really tell, that really kind of shows where they stand. Right, that's and, right. Because Sparty's hot, man. Michigan State's hot. Who is their head coach before this guy they hit now? He was there that for – That is a great question. Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio. That might be right. That he, might be right. Yeah, he had been there for so long, and they, they were always – they stayed somewhat, you know, eight, nine, ten wins – where may have you. And I didn't know when they hired a new guy, would he be able to kind of keep that up? But nah, you're right. They've been playing really well this year. You don't hear as much about them. I feel like I don't even see them on TV really at all, but uh, they've nope. been getting the job done in East Lansing, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I know these regions. Hey, this geography is so serious. <laughs> once you find, right. you know, once you find these college sports, you, you don't know everything. Might not be the best in science. But you want me in some geography? We gonna figure some things out. <laughs> Hey, we didn't have to take geography when I was in school, so I don't – I mean, hey, I just know it's up north somewhere, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. No, sure. <laughs> hey, we're going to go to the Big 12, so if y'all think about this, drop a little bit south. Um, oh, Oklahoma played TCU, got the final score with uh, 52-31 with the win. Caleb Williams got the start. The head coach of Oklahoma made – the media unavailable, but apparently they had some students that were sitting in some trees or sitting in their dorm room looking over to try to figure out who the starting quarterback is. Clearly, this means a lot at the University of Oklahoma. Oklahoma University, I think it's OU. But yeah, yeah. did you, it's crazy because Spencer Rattler came into the season, we were thinking Heisman and wow. Mm-hmm. Now, Caleb Williams is no, is no scrub by any stretch of the imagination, but you know that's got to be tough for the guy that you, that you probably used to help prepare. You know, this is how we do things in Oklahoma. He comes in and uh, the game against Texas, and then next thing you know, he's the starter. Um, and then, like I said, Oklahoma got the win. Were you expecting this switch after the Texas game, or did you think Spencer Rattler might still be able to – might still command the QB1 spot? Dude, I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I was watching Red River showdown and, you know, I see Caleb Williams come in there and, you know, lead them back for that win. And, you know, the story about his dad and stuff really inspirational. And, uh, dude, I was like, if Lincoln Riley does not make this change right here, man, like he might lose his job because I'm telling you right now, this past weekend, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at Caleb Williams, the way that he plays. Go back and watch his four touchdowns and his rush for one touchdown and tell me it does not look exactly like Deshaun Watson. I mean, it is uncanny. 
Yeah. And you might, you might, you might have to pull those highlights just to see that. But that's the first thing that jumped in my mind. And you know what they said about him was he's he doesn't feel pressure. He he's a leader even as a freshman. I mean, I saw multiple times in Red River Showdown like. Uh, Spencer Rattler's trying to do too much, dude. He's throwing to a guy, you know, maybe closer to the end zone, but he's got, you know, Marvin Mims wide open underneath. And and I think Caleb Williams does a better job of taking what the defense gives him. And I think the OU offense with Caleb Williams is the real deal. Yeah. And I think they, those that keep pushing, he had, he went 18 for 23 for, like you said, four touchdowns, 295 yards. The running back, Kennedy Brooks, had a huge day, 20 carries for 153 yards and a touchdown. Michael Woods, who started at Arkansas, I remember him because he was at Arkansas. He was one of the big recruits that came for Chad Morris, but he transferred over three uh, catches for 75 yards, and Oklahoma got the job done. TCU kept it close. Leaving the second half, I think the final score was four. I mean, at the hat right before Oklahoma scored, it was 14-17. I didn't know if Gary Patterson was gonna be able to keep the magic working, but Oklahoma ended up pulling it off, and that was definitely exciting to watch. So Caleb Williams, we're gonna see as a new face of Oklahoma football. Everybody get ready. That's right, dude. He's the first true freshman to start for the Sooners since 1990. Last person to do that was co-offensive coordinator Kale Gundy. He's only the fifth true freshman to start for the for the Sooners and quarterback. And when and when you think right now of Oklahoma quarterbacks, it's like, wow. So if I am able to start here and Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, for some reason my mind is going to Sam Bradford. And I know there's been some other ones. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is like, hey, yes, there you go. Be the Matt QB one in that role. I'm doing something right. We're going to go here real quickly back to the SEC. Did you see the move, the news that after this season, Coach O was out? Yeah, I, you know, that kind of caught me by surprise. I was like, how do you win it all? And then, you know, like the next year or two years later, you're, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're splitting ways. Um, I mean, I don't know this for a fact. I heard it was just kind of like not related to football issues. Okay. I'm not sure, you know, surely it, surely it was because yeah. I mean, he's out there doing the best he can, but there was something I saw on Instagram. It was like, you know, the players didn't really want to play for me anymore. Coaches didn't want to coach. For, I'm not really sure what was going on there, dude, but it caught me by surprise. Yeah, definitely. It caught me by surprise. Caught you by surprise. Even Joe Burrow, I was listening to his press conference. He was like, wow. Cause he even went to the point he's saying, wow, he kind of gave me a shot when nobody really wanted to give Joe Burrow a shot. Mm -hmm. And that first year, everybody kind of looks at the, the second, you know, national championship. That first year, LSU wasn't like it wasn't mm -hmm. clicking all cylinders. I think they had the most drops of any team in the country. I, Jordan Palmer, it was crazy because I'm a big, I love quarterbacks. So I listened to a lot of Quincy Avery, you know, who does a lot of the quarterback training in Atlanta and Jordan right. Palmer out in LA, Carson Palmer's brother. And he said, it. he said early on, he said, y'all, there's a guy at LSU right now. His name is Joe Burrow. And I think he can win it all. And I think everybody was like, okay, this guy, I, I get it. You know, you train him. That's great, but it's not happening. And they just started picking up steam. And I know we seem like we're doing like a college football history lesson today. And, yeah, for real. <laughs> and I remember whenever they got the nation's attention for real was when they went to play Texas and it was the way they won that game. And they just, they just kept pushing them out. So coach. O's man, Joe, Joe was something special, man. I mean, Anytime you have a season like he had, and I mean, he was unstoppable, yeah. you know, with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and all of those boys. Like, yeah. I mean, it was something, something to behold, dude. Yeah, Not to mention CEH. What'd you say? Not to mention CEH toting the mail down there in the bayou. Yes, sir. Edwards, yeah. You know, that team, dude, that team was stacked. If you look at it, it's like it's because sometimes you watch the NFL and you go, how does this general manager have the same budget of this general manager? And this is the thing. That is what you watch when you watch the LSU team. It's like there is no – and then, of course, who's the tight end? Like, you know, usually the tight end is like some guy we don't know from, I don't know, like Georgia. It's Randy's Moss's son. It's like, how did yeah. that happen? <laughs> how did we miss that? So, crazy. crazy. Great times at LSU. It might be a while before we see those times again. That's right. Who do, who do you think they go for in terms of the, the coaching search? I mean, you know, the name I don't want to mention is Brent Venables. I don't think that would happen, but I know that that's oh. going to be at the top of everybody's list. It's like, you know, Clemson's down, go after Brent Venables, but I don't, I don't think that would happen. But what do you think? 
I'm thinking, you know, we were, and there was actually like some sort of like article of this on Twitter earlier. I'm thinking they might, they're going to call it on Coastal Carolina. Really? I, I would love oh, to see it. I would hey, love that's to see it. I haven't like kind of done in depth, so that's just like a hot take, but I would love to see them make the call and just see. Now, I don't know if he has the resume though that LSU fans are looking for. I think LSU fans might want some guy who may has already coached in the SEC, but I think, hey, you got at least got to make that phone call. Like, let's see what your plan is because this is the SEC West. This is as big as it gets. I mean, they already got plenty of mullets down there in the bayou. You know what I'm saying? They're going <laughs> to fit right in. I mean, yeah. That guy, dude, he's done a great job down there at Coastal, you know. And I mean, I think, dude, that's actually a really good take. I mean, he could, he could, he could definitely interview. I mean, I don't know if he's able to beat out the likes of somebody like what you what you said with a better resume, but uh, that's interesting. Another guy who's in Louisiana, I don't think they would go for this. Is you know, is either Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana Monroe, Billy Napier. I think isn't that the Raging Cajuns? Yes. What, what, what school, that's is right. what school is that? That's UL Lafayette. Yeah, so that's in Louisiana, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that they're gonna go for that because that's a guy in the state that's working on a little team. It seems like there's a certain perception that's need to be that needs to come with a guy that goes to LSU. But I, I know he's been doing big things. And before this last I heard Billy Napier's whenever Clemson got rid of him as there when he was the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. He was the offensive that coordinator. Sounds right. Yeah, so Billy I mean, do you go? Do you do you interview Will Muschamp? Somebody I gotta said ask. that. Somebody said that. I, I, it's crazy because he was defensive coordinator when they won that when they won that national championship. I probably wouldn't. I ain't gonna lie to you. I probably. I mean, I, I don't think I would either, based on his performance at USC. But I, I gotta ask for Gamecock Nation. Yeah, and get, shout out to Gamecocks out here listening. I, I was talking to somebody the other day. I said the funniest thing that's happening with Will Muschamp is. Well, Muschamp was kind of not clearly he got fired. They parted ways, whatever. But so he left the University of South Carolina. He goes to Georgia. He's like, so the players we couldn't get in South Carolina, I got them at Georgia and we about to go win a national championship. So y'all have fun in Columbia. There's no love lost. And you could tell the players really enjoy playing for him at South Carolina because like it still seems to be like a lot of good blood. And um, even after the games, he's like, hey, tell your mom and say hello and stuff. And some of the players almost like quit the team once he left. So there's a lot of love there. Uh, and we all know he can recruit. It's just like a performance on the field. For sure. He was. He definitely had good rapport with the guys. And, you know, I just, I just think he was born and bred to be, be an assistant and be yeah. a defensive coordinator. I mean, that's my opinion. Some guys just aren't cut out to be head coaches, and it is what it is. So. Yeah, and I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. I do want to talk real quickly to our receivers one of which is on the West Coast. I do not, I do not think has been getting enough attention. Drake okay. London, and I keep seeing like little like clippings, but because he's on the West Coast, you don't hear about him a lot. But I kind of just wanted to give the audience his resume real quickly. So when you're watching college football, you think about him. Drake London, number 15, wide receiver, University of Southern Cal. So far this season, he's six foot five, 210 pounds. He comes from the state of California as well, more part. 64 receptions this season, 832 yards and five touchdowns. He's about to hit, I would say probably the next two games, he's going to hit that 1,000-yard mark and 13 uh, yards per catch. So, and as a matter of fact, this week, was it this week? This week was the first game he hadn't went for over 100 yards receiving. Against Utah, he had 16 receptions, 162 yards. Uh, Oregon, against Oregon State, he had 10 receptions for 165 yards. And against Washington State, 13 catches for 170 yards. So this dude has been making it happen. And I think he's probably the leader for the Blinton Call for Award winner. I think, dude, statistically, no doubt. I mean, I think, you know, the quarterbacks over there at Southern Cal, Kadon Slovis, I believe that's his name. You know, clearly this guy is a huge part of the Southern Cal passing game. You know, when you look at, you know, 13 yards per reception on the season, you know, against Utah in that loss, like you said, 16 receptions, you know, 162, average of 10.1 yards per set. I mean, they're looking for him, and apparently he's open. <laughs> and, like, to me, you know, Belitnikoff trophy is all about, you know, who's the, who's the most influential wide receiver for their team. And clearly, I mean, you can't argue with those numbers for Drake London. Yeah, I was the only thing that's been hurting him is that a, the, because he doesn't play in the SEC – 
it seems like a lot of people don't pay attention to him. But I know those NFL scouts have definitely been watching him, and he is clearly on their radar. And I guess, really, technically speaking, that's all that matters. I want to look and see here. Yeah, and he's a junior, so I cannot imagine him coming back next year. Like, you, you're hot right now. Go to the league and get your money. But he's not taking our advice. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, but hey, if you're listening, man, that's the right call, Mr. London. You need to go ahead. <laughs> go get your money, man, because, hey, I don't think they're going to win it all at USC anytime soon, dude. No, no. I would love I would love if Urban Meyer, if something were to happen more than what has already happened, and he decided to leave uh, Jacksonville at any point, I would love to see Urban Meyer go to Southern Cal. I think it would be great. But I like I said, and Jacksonville finally got their win, so shout out to them. So I don't think he's going anywhere no anytime soon. After that last little thing that happened at that end of tour, I think he'll stay in Jacksonville. What do you think? Uh, dude, Jackson, he's all in Jacksonville. Let's be honest. Jacksonville's arrow is pointing up. You got big Trev throwing the football. You got Travis is going to come back next year. I mean, LaVisca Chenault has looked pretty decent here recently. I mean, he seems to be a safety valve for Trevor Lawrence. Yep. Um, I definitely think, you know, you get a little bit more of a run game established. You tighten up the defense a little bit. You know, I think, dude, I mean, it's his first year at, at, a, at a program that was awful. I mean, they broke a losing streak. I forgot how many games it was. It was a lot, you know. And it's like, so I think Urban Meyer stays there. I think the, the Jags are going to be a problem, dude. You, you go ahead and write it down, take it to the bank. <laughs> Hey, that's a hot take. We will hold you hostage. So whenever they have their undefeated season, we're going to get you a little clipping on Instagram. We're going to throw it up on the social medias. And we're going to say James had figured this out a long time ago. Y'all are playing checkers. He's playing chess. That's uh, right, baby. <laughs> All right, so in another one, I always, in the, if y'all know, if y'all have listened to the episode, y'all going to get so sick and tired of me saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it because I saw it happening last year. Jamison Williams coming out of Alabama. This year, so far, he has, God, when you label these stats beside the other one, they don't sound quite as good. 20 and 29 catches, 587 yards, six touchdowns. He's a junior coming out of Missouri. Like I told y'all before, and I'm going to say 6'2", 189, went to Ohio State, was battling with Garrett Wilson and uh, – Garrett Wilson and Olave, Chris Olave, and just wasn't really able to crack the depth chart, goes to Alabama and tears it up. And I thought, I think most Alabama fans thought this would be a year that Mechie, or Michi, I you say his name, was going to look crazy. But Jamison's been able to do it all. He's a tall, fast guy. And 6'2", and returns kickoffs and punts like his light work. And I know that Alabama has a lot of other skill guys that can return those punts and kicks. But if, if he's been able to get it and be able to take it to the house in this day and age, He's your guy. Have you watched Alabama at all this season? or? Have you... Dude, you, you got to keep your enemies closer than your friends. Okay? <laughs> so I try to tune in to the Crimson Tide. I mean, once it gets past about three touchdowns, you know, I'm going to turn it to something yeah. else. All right. But, yeah, Jamison Williams, dude, the, the stat that just jumps off the page for me, uh, for this season, his average uh, yards per reception, 20.2. Sheesh. I mean, this ain't this ain't no, you know, you know, this ain't no wide receiver screen, nothing like that. I mean, they're hitting this man deep. Like last week, you know, they win against Mississippi State. He only has two receptions for 77 yards, but you're talking 38 and a half yards per reception and a tutty, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's that's legit. Like, you know, and you think the the Michi, however you say his name, man, like he I was looking at him like, is this the next Jalen Waddle? Starting to wonder about Jamison Williams. Is this the next Jalen Waddle? You know, is this the next great wide receiver to to come from Alabama and just light up the NFL? It could be. And they have so many of them when you think of the names. Like, you know, you got the Julio Jones, and then now you got the Wilder. Literally last year, between – well, Rhodes has been playing quite as well, but Waddle's been balling out. Devontae Smith, Amari Cooper, they're all over the league. They are absolutely – I mean, Jerry, Jerry Judy, dude. Judy, yes, Judy. Now, he got hurt, but he was lighting it up until he got hurt. I remember whenever you first saw Jerry Judy with those that route running, it's like, yo, this is not legal. Like, there, there's Dude, it's not fair, dude. <laughs> there's no like, way. Like, it's to... ridiculous. Yeah, so those Alabama receivers, they're going to keep pumping them into the league. And now with the transfer portal is established, it's like you can literally go develop at another school, come on Alabama, let's rock and roll, we'll get you some guys next year. And that'll be just just as good, if not better. One of the Vandy receivers came from Alabama. I can't. It wouldn't be. He's the one that had the fifty-yard touchdown. I'm gonna say. 
That would be Will Shepard. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was him. I'm 99% 52-yard touchdown pass from Mike Wright. Yeah, that was him. I was he was like, lighting up that secondary, boy. And I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what, what his experiences were at those Alabama practices. Because, you know, those Alabama practices, I feel like you realize how good of a player you are. Yeah, you know you're a good player. But you get at one of them Alabama practices, it's like, oh, man, I can't think of what – Devontae Smith, he was on Club Shay Shay with Shannon Sharp. And he was saying he went out there. And it's like Minka Fitzpatrick. And all those guys know they D1. And the thing – well, of course, they're D1. But they know their top NFL prospects. And the thing that he brought to my attention was he said that NFL scouts are there every single day. So you really have no room to have a bad day. That's right. I mean, you've got to be on your A game 100% of the time. Dude, at Alabama, all eyes are on you. Yeah. And I think going back to – again, going back to Clemson with DJ, I think that's kind of part of – of what his struggle might be, you know, because he sees that in his future, and and he's he's trying to get that done. But yeah, dude, I mean, when you go to an Alabama practice, you might as well be at an NFL training camp. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, no, for sure. And yo, know, I think you brought that up a very good point. This is a Clemson episode. That's what this is. This is. I'm, that's I don't want to figure out what this in the title. This is a Clemson episode. Hey, but we're yeah. it's the all in edition, baby. All in. There you go. There you go. That's it. That's all I got to remember to remember that. But yeah, but like you said, Clemson, because at one point Clemson wasn't probably like that. But now, man, there are guys all over that field. And a lot of these guys are four and five stars, too. So it's not just a three star that creeps his way up. It's like you got five star guys that are coming in here, ready to get in here. Now, they create a family environment. So it is a little bit different, not business as usual, Alabama. Ready to get here and get to this money. And I think I saw Kristen Wilkins this past week, and I was like, dang, I remember when he was a Tiger. We're going to talk about the Panthers. I was at this. Y'all, we're switching to the NFL. This is the most <laughs> natural transition. Uh, uh, we're going to switch to the NFL here. Panthers game. James said that's his. You're, you're a Panthers fan, correct? That's right, man. Yeah, so you're a Panthers fan. Was sitting out there at the Panthers game, and guess who plays nickel for the Vikings? You might know that. Guess who plays nickel for the Vikings? Who, who's that? You remember Kenzie Alexander? Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah I oh, didn't. Yeah. I was like, because I saw him, because whenever you, if you got there really early, they let you go almost like, you know, almost on the field, but just where the, the barriers clearly separating you. And there's a guy out there warming up. I was like, God, that guy looks familiar. I remember when McKenzie Alexander, because that was back when I used to look at TigerNet probably every two hours. I was checking it just to see if there were any <laughs> updates. And McKenzie was the guy, I remember they went and interviewed him. He said, yeah, I keep a notebook of all our receivers, just in case anything. I, I know them inside out. McKenzie was that guy at Clemson. That, that come from, I want to say it's like Emokali, Florida. Uh, same yeah, it's somewhere. Know. It's some weird name. Yeah, but those guys, they come ready to go. They come ready to go. McKenzie was a lot. Do you remember the McKenzie Alexander days? Oh, yeah, dude. That was like, yeah, you might have been in my classroom back then, dude. <laughs> that was right about right around that time. You know, Deshaun Watson, everybody, everybody was saying, ran off on the plug twice. You saw Deshaun Watson score and all that. Yeah, man, that was I'm, – I'm pretty sure McKenzie Alexander had a pick. Uh, didn't he pick off Sam Darnold yeah, this week? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, Sam Darnold struggled, let's be honest. But, hey, that was, dude, those were the days, man. And also Bashad Breland. Yep. Bashad Breland was out there. Bashad's from South Carolina. I want to say the Sherrard or the Charleston area. And I remember number 17, Tiger Town. I remember him 2011 against Auburn. That's, that's what I remember Bashad. I feel like, although obviously I'm not a part of the coaching staff, but he took his next step. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the game yesterday, Panthers lose in overtime, final score 34-28. Ben, I'm going to get my thoughts on a couple of them, and I'm going to let you go from there, being that you are the Panthers fan. Sam Darnold struggled, but man, oh man, Anderson, Anderson and uh, DJ, some of those drops, I was like, y'all, like y'all got to help this man out a little bit. Like it, it got kind of frustrating to watch, and the Panthers fans around were like, yo, what's going on? The Vikings traveled well, too. The Vikings were definitely out there. I expected – I was hoping for two touchdowns from Justin Jefferson, went to the gritty, didn't exactly happen like that. But big win for the Vikings in overtime on the road. What, what did you think about uh, your Panthers' performance? Man, it's – I think our offense, again, you know, it goes back to your quarterback – um, Sam Darnold, dude, I mean, he started off the season just, look, I, I didn't recognize my man, you know, like watching him with the Jets, most of the time he was on the turf. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, I mean, he just did not look comfortable in the pocket. I mean, he throws, I mean, he threw for a touchdown, 
you know, but you got to have, you got to have those, those balls caught, like you said, like DJ Moore, you know, Robbie Anderson. I mean, they've got a, they're, they're professional players too. And you gotta, you gotta make the plays whenever they're there for you. Also Chuba Hubbard, you know, not having Christian McCaffrey hurts, obviously. Yeah. Um, you don't have to respect the run as much. I think Chuba Hubbard is going to be good in the future. You know, he was only 16 carries for 61 yards. He did have a touchdown. I think he kind of had a short, um, short score there, but, uh, in, in Carolina, dude, they've got to have a more balanced attack. I think I, Sam Darnold threw the ball 41 times. Uh, that's, that's probably too much, especially when you add in those drops and things. Yeah, they really, they're really going to need to figure out how they're going to do this Christian, uh, Christian McCaffrey thing, where they're going to have to use him less or not, because when he disappears, the team definitely does struggle. I saw them putting Shai Smith in. I think this was Shai Smith's first game where he was active. A lot of South Carolina fans were at the game. They were excited about that. They, I think they're going to – I would think – He's not Christian, but he can definitely be in that backfield a little bit. I saw them put him back there, and he's an explosive guy. And also, he's a wide receiver. So we'll see what they do with Shai Smith. And, and for, a set, for a second there, because, you know, the joke going around with Sam Darnold was the seeing ghost thing. I was like, they were like, what's going on? I'm like, you seeing ghosts again? I was like, yo, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, well, the thing is, sometimes it kind of looks like that, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, let's be honest. But. You know, my thing, can Shai Smith be that gadget guy, kind of like a Tyreek Hill? Yeah. Or some, obviously, he's not fast as Cheetah, but can he be that guy that you put in motion and all of a sudden, like, the, the defense has to account for him and what he's doing on every play? Now, that's an interesting thing because, you know, Christian McCaffrey's normally that guy. Um, it'd be really cool to see the Panthers try that. Now, Chuba Hover's not bad out of the backfield. He can catch yeah. the ball and run a little bit, so – yeah, I think Hubbard is the Hubbard definitely can make some things happen. And we'll just see if they continue to take his young guy, see if they continue to take that next step. Gonna go to, like I said, I'm a bigger NFL quarterback fan. I watch all like the QB uh the quarterback school. I watch all the quarterback stuff and we like to decipher the game out. But so one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch going into this year, because I know y'all gonna say I'm jumping on the bandwagon, but I've been on this for a minute here, was watching Kyler. I watched Kyler and I'm like, man, it was funny because, you know, everybody was trying to figure out if he was going to stay baseball or go football and looking like he made the right decision. They get the win. The Cardinals. Oh, my gosh. I'm drawing a blank there. Who did they beat this week? I was at They the beat game. the Browns. Yeah, they beat the – yeah, because everybody was talking about Baker Mayfield. Now Baker struggled, boy. He got – Baker struggled for real. 37-14, the battle of the former Oklahoma quarterbacks. But, man – I'm telling you what, Arizona, the weapons, and they just added so, and this happened this week, so we didn't talk about an episode. So you already got A.J. Green. I think Christian Kirk, and I want to give his stat line here, Christian Kirk is emerging like none other. I did not expect to see him emerge the way he's done. In this game, he had five catches for 75 yards, but between him, A.J. Green kind of reemerging after some injuries, DeAndre Hopkins with the two touchdowns, another Clemson guy. Uh, Rondell yeah. Moore and company, they've just been able to make it happen. Kyler Murray went 20 for 30. So if we're doing math, shout out James, 20 uh, for 30. Two thirds of his passes were completions, 229 yards and four touchdowns. So great win for the Cardinals. Why, why do you think Baker's been struggling? Well, first, let me say, I told you when we were in private stat class, you would use that statistics in real life now. You know, y'all try to play games like y'all wasn't going to use that. So yeah. you saw that two for three. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, you know, Kyler Murray, man, like you've got to account for him on the ground. You've got to account for he's got an absolute cannon um, that he's got that offense humming, dude. I mean, throwing for four touchdowns. I mean, it was it was impressive. And, and you love to see it because he did not have a great first and second year. He really didn't. They struggled. But he's got some weapons around him now, especially having Newt Hopkins. I mean, I, I think I could throw that ball into the end zone. I think it was new second touchdown. I mean, he was wide open that, you know, safety dropped and didn't cover him. So um, it's really, dude, it's fun to watch Kyle Murray. Yeah. And if you, I was about to say, if you threw him one, if you threw him a touchdown, you'd be like one of the 26 other quarterbacks. Cause you know, the thing was that Nuke had a new quarterback every year and man, but I would say, yo, he went from Deion, uh, from Deshaun Watson to Kyler Murray. So it, it's been great to watch. It's great to watch his progression. Cause I remember at first the, the thing was, is he tall enough? Cause he's so small, but it seems like he finds those different arm slots He's able to give it to the receivers and and what Zach Ertz gives because I think it takes like a week, maybe two weeks, because you know he's just switching teams. But once he gets there, it's like now you got to think about the tight end too. And you really and they got James Conner from Pittsburgh, who was from the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
That's right. And so, yeah, and you've also, you know, who's back there, Chris Edmonds, you know, who's the threat out of the backfield. And I mean, I definitely think Zach Hurts should be on everybody's fancy radar because right now, you know, you had uh, Dallas Goddard was kind of taking over there in Philly as the top tight end. You've definitely got to be looking at Zach Hurts on the waiver wire, dude, because if you got Kyler Murray throwing to anybody, they should be on your on your radar. Exactly. So I agree 100%. Do want to hear your quick prediction on this Monday night game tonight. So picture yourself, you're Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, and I'm coming to you and asking who you got tonight. You got Titans versus Bills. I got to go with uh, – I got to go with the Bills. I, okay. Dude, I cannot go against Josh Allen. I can't go against Stephon Diggs. I think the Bills are for real. You know, Bill's Nation is going to be jumping and breaking tables tonight, dude. It's going to be wild. It's yeah. going to be wild. I mean, the Titans, you got to respect the Titans. I mean, Derrick Henry is an absolute workhorse, and he's just a freak of nature. You know, and, and Ryan Tannehill's had an okay season. I, I think, uh, who is that? Is that um, A.J. Brown has struggled a little bit? A.J. Um, Julio. You know, A.J., yeah, they, you know, Julio's been, been injured as of recent, if I'm not mistaken, but Dude, I mean, Josh Allen and the Bills are just – they're too strong of an offense to, to count them out. And also, that defense is pretty solid, too. I, I have – I, I kind of go in and out with that fantasy thing. Sometimes I forget about it. I have the Steelers as my defense – I mean, as my defensive fantasy. One of my friends has the Bills. And the Steelers going to get you some forced fumbles. They're going to, like, you know, as far as getting points for fantasy. But that dog on Bills defense, they're going to get you points. They're going to intercept the ball they got. Um, Mika Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White, and uh, Levi Wallace. And I remember Levi because he was the walk-on Alabama. And them, boy, them guys get points. That's right. I actually – I streamed my defenses. I started Dallas. And uh, even though they gave up a bunch of points, still got an interception, fumble recovery, block. So, But, yeah, dude, yeah, the Bills defense is legit, man. You, I mean – they're not – I don't know that they're a must-start every week, but they're a solid option every week, yeah. that's for sure. Wait a minute. So you have Dallas. So the Diggs brothers have been giving you plenty of just – I saw he had that pick six this week. Trayvon Diggs I, at Alabama, I remember seeing him here and there, and I was like, okay, he's probably going to be a decent, you know, corner. But this man is picking off the pass every single game, and then this one he took it back to the house. So – and like we talked about before, if you can get turnovers and then forget having offense back on the field, you take it back to the house yourself, you are valuable. Oh yeah, that's, there's no doubt about it. Just just another example of a of an Alabama guy coming out of there and just absolutely wrecking the NFL, just with with pure talent. I mean, and they, it's for whatever reason Nick Saban. I mean, they are prepared for the NFL when they leave Alabama mentally and physically, and it's it's just it's impressive, man. It was so that he told Mika Fitzpatrick when he was young, if you don't want to do it my way, you can go home. This man ended up like a top 15 pick. And he was mad talented when he got there. And Nick is such is such a factory of defensive backs. It's like, son, you go home. Because that guy right there, he's probably just first round too. So, which also makes you wonder before the portal, how many of these Alabama guys that just never cracked the field at Alabama were really good? And they just Oh, I'm sure, dude. I'm sure there were plenty of them. At practice fields, at practice fields, I was about to do another history lesson, but I'm not. I got to stop with this <laughs> over time. Hey, last thing. Uh, we're do, we don't really talk too much baseball here, but do want to hear uh, who do you think wins the series between the Dodgers and the Braves and the Red Sox-Houston one? Just a quick prediction for both of them. I got – well, I got the Braves winning this one because yeah. uh, I'm a Braves fan. You know, two straight walk-offs, that's crazy. You know, we got some work to do um, as far as uh, pitching goes. I think we're going to have to have a bullpen game here soon. But I got the Braves winning, and I've also got the Red Sox winning. I think the Red Sox are for real. Okay, yeah, because the Braves are up 2-0 already. I didn't know how that was going to go. I'm a big Freddie Freeman fan. I, I Oh, man. I think one thing that baseball has done, because they were behind in the social media game for a little while, but it's like it's been an explosion. And so people, when you're going down your timelines, before you just didn't just see quite as much, but you see like stuff and the people are retweeting and you have like the field of dreams and stuff. So I think baseball done a really good job of marketing. And so now like, because you know, the whole thing is like baseball isn't as much of like a view sport as far as now as it once was but I definitely think the social media is pushing it and because baseball like football you sometimes have to watch a whole play develop but baseball is a home run you know what I'm saying yeah 
Yes. That's right. Hey, there's a there's a lot going on that you know people don't watch it as much anymore, but there's a lot going on in between pitches, pitch yes. to pitch. There's a lot of of kind of complex things going on that people don't always see. But uh, you love to see it, man. I'm so glad more people are watching and more people are interested. I mean, we watched the Braves play when they played at one o'clock, you know, the other Monday. We watched it in my class and stuff like that. So the kids, I mean, the kids enjoyed that. Hey, you hey, you're definitely doing your part. You're doing your part. MLB, get this man a check. Cause he hey, he's in class. Like, yo, y'all got right. game. Hey, here's a test. Who won? You know, so <laughs> hey, but James. <laughs> I appreciate having you on. This has been a very good. Not too many people can do the history lessons of uh, we we need to get a I need to get a sponsor so therefore like we do a history fact and be like this is the Geico at, you know whatever. But I really appreciate you coming on. We're definitely gonna have to have you on for another episode. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Just reach out, I'm, dude. I'm down to do this anytime. It was a lot of fun. But for sure. And uh, if any of your takes end up going bad or going really well, I'm gonna get them on social media regardless. I'll be sure to tag you. Uh, I guess we can do this. Hey, what's your Twitter's name? So in case the people want to follow you and uh, see what you got going on. At Coach Saddy. At Coach Saddy. Y'all make sure y'all go follow him. Y'all know That's on Instagram right. account, Matt Sportshouse at M-A-T-T-S-S Sportshouse. You get the picture. Follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Matt the Chosen One. And that is all we have for y'all for this week's episode. Peace. We off the grid, for my kid, kid, kid. For when my kid, kid, kids have kids. Everything we did for the crib. Everything we did, how we lived. All this smoke got a scent. All that smoke, Kevin sent. Everything I spoke, what I meant. Never disguise my intent. Lies.